Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to the ages of all ages, amen. So, uh, recapping our series, we started off by talking about how money is actually really important to God. And our relationship with money, more specifically said, is really important to God. How we, how we deal with money, how we cope with money, what, what relationship we allow money to have with us, um, and how that modulates our relationship, how that modulates our relationship with God and our relationship with others. There, there are every fifth verse in the book of James has to do with money. One out of five verses in the book of James has to do with money. Over 10% of scripture has to do with commandments about money. I really fell into the trap. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this later when I tell you my story and why this series um, was actually part of my own personal spiritual journey. Of thinking that money is, is not important. Money is worldly. Money is something from the world. And, um, and it has nothing to do with God. I don't care about money. Um, and money is not important at all. Um, and it's just my relationship with God. That's the important thing. But... A lot of Jesus' commandments, like we've uh, covered in our first talk, were about money. In our second talk, we talked about, about budgeting and about being honest, about knowing where our money is and that we're stewards. We're God's money managers. God has entrusted us with something and he's expecting us to do something with it. Um, and if you gave money to uh, some financial guy at the bank or some other financial institution and you asked him, what are you doing with my money? And he didn't know uh, everywhere every dollar and cent was, you'd be pretty upset. Um, somehow we think that God doesn't care whether we know how we're managing his money or not. We need to know where all the resources that God has entrusted us with have gone to. Today, we're talking about whether we are slave or master, and who is our master? So, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. Um, I did my surgery training in, in Vancouver, and they had this little they they had this little workaround while I was there that was very convenient. They allowed me to get a general practice license during my first two years of training, so that in the remaining four years of my training, if I wanted. I could work as a family doctor or as a general practitioner alongside doing my training. It's called moonlighting. It exists, the concept of moonlighting exists in other, in other um, um, uh, disciplines as well. It means to do extra work alongside your sort of main job. So I did that. And um, uh, little by little, the people who trained me during those first two years would ask me, are you going to get a general practice license? And I would say yes. And they'd say, well, when you do, come back and you know, work for us. You could cover my night call. You could this, you could that. And I suddenly found myself with sort of what seemed to be almost like an unlimited supply of money. So if I wanted to go out for dinner for $200 uh, just to spend on myself, I would. And I became kind of frivolous. And in my mind, I told myself, I don't really care about money. I don't really, you know, watch the dollars and cents because you know what? Like, that's not what God is all about and our relationship with God is all about. But really what I was doing is I really wasn't, I was really not caring at all about the gifts that God had given me. And I carried on like that for four years and nothing really kind of convicted me until I came to Toronto where I didn't have any of these business connections and my training here in Toronto consumed 
like 100 to 110 hours a week. So there was no really leftover time or energy to moonlight. Plus, I didn't even know where to moonlight. Um, and so uh, I was just so, uh, so I went from living a certain living of standard with a certain mentality and a certain relationship with money to a different one. Well, shortly thereafter, I got married. And shortly thereafter, we were married, we were happy, then came the priesthood. And then, you know, after a while of being on a fixed income, sort of like, sort of like uh, three years of being, five years, sorry, of being on a fixed income, I found myself with $66,000 of debt. And I was like, this is a problem. I didn't wake up at 32,000. I didn't wake up at 40,000. I didn't wake up at 50,000. But at $66,000 worth of debt, I thought to myself, oh my God, what is going on? And I realized that the problem was not my income. Because when I researched what the average Canadian makes, I found myself earning similar or more to that. When I, when I looked at this and I just realized that the problem, the problem wasn't something outside my home. The problem wasn't uh, the salary structure. Uh, the problem wasn't, the problem was staring at me right in the face every time I brush my teeth. The problem is me. And I need to deal with me. That's when I realized that I need to do something serious. And it so happened that we were, uh, we were also expecting our, our, our beautiful baby girl. Three, three months from now, she would be born. And we were really in a bad spot. I prayed really hard. I got down on my knees. I cried. I asked God for help. But the situation didn't change. Like, it's not because I prayed and I fasted and I cried that you go back and log into your online banking and look, $20,000 of that have disappeared. It doesn't work like that, right? So I didn't feel, I didn't feel like the big hotshot that I had been pretending to be all this time. I felt like a little boy who was scared, who was going to be responsible, really responsible for a family soon, and I needed help. So I started reading, I started researching, I started, I started trying to find how I could fix this. I spoke with my parents who were very honest um, and my parents are really good people and they told me we will stand behind you the whole way but we won't pay out your debt. It's your debt, you deal with it. Um, and, um, and honestly, honestly, that was, that was probably the best thing they could have done with me and for me. Um, Mary and I had a lot of heart-to-hearts around that time, and I stumbled upon a few of the secrets I want to share with you today. Because now, all of that debt is gone. Not now, actually. More than a year ago, all of that debt was gone. In a year, $66,000 of debt was gone. And I tell you, the, the dollars and cents don't add up. God does do miracles. He does do strange things behind the scenes that we cannot explain, right? That, that's almost my gross income, right? Like my gross income is a little bit more than that, right? So how does, how does that add up? I can't tell you, right? Um, but it didn't, it didn't come with prayer and fasting and tears alone. It came with a, a very focused and decided model that our family chose to follow and that's what I want to share with you today and why we should all this should kind of 
be important to all of us um, is what I want to share most with all of you today. Matthew 6 says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. There's two ways money can be your master. Money can be your master because you fall in love with money, or money can be your master because you have creditors. And those creditors are people you owe. And God, as we're going to see later, is not going to let you off the hook for owing that money, at least not like willy-nilly, right? He, may he, he will help you, and we're going to talk about that too, but um, it's gonna, he, does want, he does want us to, to do something right about it. So what is God's will for us regarding our wealth? God's will for us regarding our wealth can be found really well in Deuteronomy. As the people of God have traveled through the desert with Moses all this time, and Moses is going to go off, and he's going to go and be with his forefathers and go off to bigger and better places, he gathers the people and he reminds them of the law of God. And this is specifically in regards to wealth. He says, For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you, and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow and you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. Again, he says a little later, the Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season, to bless all the works of your hands, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. God's will for us is to have and to have in abundance, that we can be a blessing to the world, right? Not to be in debt. A little bit, uh, so when we take all of these things, the first thing that I need to do is I do need to get down on my knees and I do need to, to tell God. And if you are in a similar boat, then please join me. I need to get down on my knees and I need to tell God I haven't been do doing things your way. I might have been doing things the world's way. We'll talk about it a, little bit, a little bit as well. I may have been doing things in other people's ways, but I haven't been doing things necessarily in your way. You, Lord, are the king on the throne. You, Lord, are the one who is the possessor of all things, who owns all things. And everything that I have is yours. And I'm sorry, Lord, for not having done with it what you want me to do with it. Amen. Now, it's time to break ties with this old master. This old master I'm talking about is debt. Right? Because... In Proverbs 22, I can't remember if I put it here. Well, Ecclesiastes 5 reminds us, It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So God is not delighted for us not to pay. But somehow, he sometimes allows us, you know, a little, a, a little bit of slack on the rope. But in general, if I owe $66,000, he's expecting me, God is expecting me, to, owe, to pay back $66,000, right? Similarly, in Proverbs 22, and this is sort of like the fulcrum of this whole talk, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. I can't be the master of the, of the riches that God has entrusted me with if I'm servant to somebody else. I'm not free to do with them what God wants me to do with them if I've already promised them to somebody else, right? So I need to find my way out of those promises. I need to find my way out of that credit. 
I need to find my way out of that debt. And if you're discouraged because you're looking at figures that are large, um, like $66,000 or more, you know, student debt can be, my class, my, my med school class, the average person had $185,000 of student debt, right? So um, if you feel that, if you feel discouraged, I want to share this story with you that I'm, I put just the full text of the story here in the slides. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what, to, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her two sons and brought the vessels to her and they poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and she said, he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons will live on the rest. I want to tell you that God will bless you. The moment that I realize that something isn't right in my life and I try to align myself to the will of God, no matter how high a, a mountain it is to climb, no matter how steep the climb is, God will bless you. God will not leave you. God will not let you do the work by yourself. God is delighted at the disposition of your heart. Now, that doesn't mean that while I'm standing at the foot of the mountain that the work is done because God delights in the disposition of my heart. That's great that He delights in the disposition of my heart. So He will work with me and we will work together and He will work through me to accomplish all of His will. Right? So don't fear. You are not alone. God is delighted to help us to pay out our debts. And here is how. I want to get really, really practical. We went on a, on a baby moon, like, you know, when you go on a short trip before you have a baby. And I decided to read this book. And I came back with all of these radical ideas by the same guy that I mentioned last week, Dave Ramsey. The Total Money Makeover. If you haven't read this book, read this book. If you have read this book, read it again. If you commute a lot, right? If you commute a lot, like, you know, get the audio book, um, right? The principles he's saying are very simple, are biblical. It's not a spiritual book. It's a money book. Um, and it's, it's real, real simple. I promise you, I'm not an affiliate. I'm not getting any kickbacks for this. I'm simply giving credit where credit is due. All of the ideas coming from here forward are inspired by, um, by, um, from Dave, by Dave Ramsey, either from this book or other things. So he describes seven steps to financial fitness, and they're all baby steps. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you pay out $66,000 of debt? One dollar at a time, right? And they're small steps. They are, they are small steps and they're broken down to things that anyone can do. If, I, if I'm somewhere along the spectrum of these seven steps, right, you can too. Really, it's not rocket science and it's, it's not hard. The first step is to get into the right mindset, right? To have a written budget. So that's kind of what we've been doing up until, up until now. And last week we talked at length sort of about, about budgeting, right? We're going to dispel some myth. We're going to give up on the Joneses. 
um, and we're going to get current with all of our creditors. Also, don't start doing all of this unless your basic necessities of life are taken care of. Food, water, shelter, clothing, transportation, utilities. Okay, this presupposes that you're not in crisis. If some, some of the stuff on the right side of the screen is not well taken care of, take care of that first. Um, and then, and then we, can, we can get going. Beverly Sill says there's no shortcut to anywhere worth going. Right? This isn't a get money fast scheme. This isn't, um, you know, uh, and like the easy road to whatever. Uh, you know, this is just good common sense that my grandfather would have loved to teach me if he had had the opportunity. The enemy of the best is not the worst. It's just fine. As long as you and I, myself, like first and foremost, is looking to the rest of society and saying that's what everybody else is doing, I will be like, like everybody else in society. Broke. Over 70% of Canadians live from paycheck to paycheck. That means that if they lose their job, they're in danger of being evicted. They're in danger of not paying their bills. They're in danger of falling behind and paying the people they owe money to. Right? That's 70% of society. So by saying, yeah, but that's not what everybody else is doing, I'm saying I want to be like everyone else, right? If you want to be fit, like, and you want to be like a bodybuilder, read about bodybuilders, hang out with bodybuilders, talk to bodybuilders, see what they do. If you want to, to get out of debt and to be like in good, your finances to be in good standing, see what those people do. The Forbes fought for, uh, Forbes 500 is like a list of sort of the 500 wealthiest people, right? And they interview them and they talk to them and they ask them sort of what they do and how they do it. You'll find that the overwhelming majority of millionaires wear blue jeans, drive a reliable used car, and live in an average mid-sized home, right? The, like, y yes, you do have your folks who live on the bridal path. Yes, that's very true. But the, the, the average millionaire, right, lives just like you and me. In fact, they might drive an older car than you and me, right? They did this, uh, the, this experiment, which is often quoted when talking about mediocrity, right, where they take a frog or any cold-blooded reptile and drop it in a pot of water and put the pot of water on the stove. Well, the frog just willfully and easily just boils to death. Why? Because of the gradual change in temperature, they don't feel the difference, and so they progress closer and closer to danger until, until it's too late. The same is true for you and I in regards to our finances. If we accept to just let money go here and there and so on, we find ourselves at the bottom of a pot of boiling water that we didn't realize. And people may laugh. Here's another study that they did. Some, some, some scientists took a group of monkeys, not that you all are monkeys, but you know, right? And they put them at the, at the bottom of a ladder and they put some bananas at the top of the ladder. And they hung a garden hose or some sprayer, you know, on top of the monkeys. And every time a monkey would try to climb the ladder, they would spray the other monkeys. Well, naturally what happened, every time a monkey would try to climb up the ladder, the other monkeys would beat him down so he wouldn't go up. So then they removed one monkey and they brought another monkey in who had never been sprayed with water. 
Well, none of, the, none of the monkeys who were wet tried to go up the ladder, but the dry monkey, he tried to go up the ladder. So what did the other monkeys do? They beat him down. And they, let, they, they did that, they let him try a few times, and then they removed the four wet monkeys, and they put in four more dry monkeys who had never seen the sprayer and never been sprayed. What happened? Every time one of those four monkeys tried to climb the ladder, the first monkey, who had taken some beatings already, started to beat them down. What, what did they discover here? They discovered, right, that these new, this, all five of these monkeys had never been sprayed with water, right? But they just did what the other monkeys told them to do, right? Society is telling us, there's nobody out there who has a car without a car payment. Society is telling us you can't live without a credit card. Society is telling us you'd be a fool not to accept the, the, the line of credit, you know, what, what if something happens? Society tells us a whole lot of things that are just plain bad advice, right? And if we want to be a monkey, right, follow the monkeys. If you want to be rich, follow what the rich people are doing. Giving up, keeping up with the Joneses. Um, this is Dave Ramsey's line, I've got to give him credit for it. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like, right? You don't need to impress the people that you really like, because they like you. So you don't need to impress them, you can just be yourself. But you don't need to get the new this and the new car and the new whatever and the new, right? So we just have to get this into our heads, that whatever decisions, financial decisions, I make or our family makes are decisions we make because that's what we want to do. If I want to go buy a pair of $700 jeans, that's fine because that's what I want to do, presuming that you're able to do it. Not because I want to impress somebody else out there. Baby step number one, okay, is to save $1,000. This is like the bare minimum emergency fund. If, um, if your gross household income is under $20,000, then make that $500, right? So if you earn less than five, if you file taxes for less than $20,000 a year, then make it $500. But if you're above the $20,000 sort of uh, 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 that, that line, save $1,000. Save it fast, okay? This should, this is a plan on the right side of the screen here to do it in half a year. Don't do it in half a year. Do it fast. Do it in a month. Do it in two months. Do it, do it quickly. Getting through this step is the, is the best thing you're going to do. Why? Because this is the first step. You always have the most encouragement when it comes to changing something behavioral at the beginning. How many people here have tried to go to the gym, right? It works for the first week. And then after that, you know, other things kind of get in the way, right? It's normal. So do this step and do it fast. Because when you have $1,000 sitting parked away, in, just in the event that you need them, just in the event that an emergency comes up, right off the bat, most people feel that much better. The best thing that comes out of this step are two things. One is you have hope. You have hope that you can, you can do this. You have hope that this is not a difficult, complicated system. It's very easy. The second thing that comes out of this is you stop getting into more debt. Life emergencies happen, right? Rainy days happen. It's gonna rain. At some point, it's gonna rain, right? So you need an umbrella. 
This is a good old-fashioned grandmother's rainy day fund. It's nothing spectacular, it's nothing special, but it's just a good old rainy day fund. Statistics show that 79% of us will have a major negative life event in a 10-year span. I don't want to be a naysayer, you know, you all know me, I don't like to be negative, I like to be positive, I like to be, think about the good things in life, right? But we have to be realistic, right? God forbid, God forbid, somebody important to you will pass away, you will lose a job, have an accident. God knows, and may God protect you from all these bad things, and so on. But, these things happen, and statistics say that 4 out of 5 people are going to have one of these things happen to them in the next 10 years. So not being prepared for it is not smart, right? There's sort of this thing called Murphy's Law, right? Like whatever can go wrong will go wrong, right? I want to tell you that Murphy visits the people that he knows he can pray on. Murphy doesn't visit the people who have an emergency fund as often as he visits the people who don't. $1,000 is not a complete emergency fund. It's just a start. Have $1,000 sitting on the side there to help you out so that you don't need to pull out your credit card when the alternator goes, when the, you know, the furnace blows and you need repairs, when this, when that, when that. This is to keep you out of debt. And if you spend a penny from the emergency fund on true emergencies, then you go back to the beginning of baby step one and you replenish the emergency fund. So it's kind of like uh, in Monopoly where you go back to go or snakes and ladders, right? If you hit a snake, you go back to the bottom and you just start at the beginning of baby step one. You spent $500 from the emergency fund, that's fine. You still have another $500. Replenish the emergency fund, then you can go to baby step two. The emergency fund is for emergencies. Christmas shopping is not an emergency. Christmas happens once a year, every year, at around the same time, depending on whether you're, you know, Western or Orthodox this year, right? It happens every single year around the same time. So it's not an emergency. That fits in the budget that we were talking about last week, right? And all of those other things, right? Um, in, the, in the budget forms that I suggested that people take a look at uh, last week, there's stuff like saving for clothes, for shoes, for furniture, right? I'm not going to wear the same shoes for the rest of my life. Sometime between now and my casket, I'm going to need a new pair of shoes. And unless I'm budgeting for it, then it's going to have to come out of the emergency fund. It's not an emergency. The emergencies, emergency fund is only for emergencies. Baby step two is where it gets really exciting. Take all of your debts, whatever they are, and write them from smallest payout to largest payout, right? With the balance, like the name, the balance remaining, and the minimum payment, okay? Don't pay attention to the interest rates. I know it sounds like bad math. I know it makes more sense to pay out the things with, with, the, with the highest interest first so that you can, you know, you're, you're not paying as much interest. I know there are theories of debt consolidation. I know all of that. Dave Ramsey talks about it at length, but I'm just going to tell you what he says and what worked for us is just write them down, smallest to largest, okay? And then take every penny that you would have put into baby step one, now that baby step one is complete, into baby step two. Just start to pay them out, one after the other after the other, right? And 
when you pay one out, the payments you are making to that one go into payment num into the second one, right? And when you pay that one out, the payments you are making into the first one and into the second one go into the third one. And when you pay, pay the third one out, the payments that you are making into the first one and the second one and the third one go into the fourth one. And little by little, right, you get the picture. You start an avalanche. You start out with a, you start out with a little debt and you're making the best payments you can make towards it because you got you got to put food on the table and you have to pay for rent and you have to pay hydro and you have to pay all this. But you, whatever dollar you can find here and there, whatever you find, you're putting it into that little debt. Well, because it's a little debt, it's going to get paid out. Remember, this is about behavior change. What I'm saying may not make uh, perfect sense mathematically, right? You may, you may um, save money by paying the, the things that have higher interest first even if they are larger payments. But it's discouraging. It's discouraging to try to attack the, the, the $22,000 like, you know, walrus that's, uh, that's sitting in your debt pile. It's not so, it's not so uh, difficult to try to tackle that $180 phone, phone bill that you've been carrying now for three weeks or for three months that's been gnawing at you, right? So find the little, the little debts, right? and put them in order from smallest to largest, no cheating, and pay them out, the smallest, and then go to the next one, and go to the next one. As you go, as you get from smaller debt to bigger debt, your payments get bigger too. So it's all about behavior change, right? And the only way, the only way that this can happen is if you really get on a mission, you really, I really get on a mission to get this done. I'm gonna get this done no matter what. And we're going to talk a little bit about Dave Ramsey's model for that. Proverbs 6 says, Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. We have to, you know, I'm sorry if any of you out there are lenders, you know, like, uh, like uh, you know, financially, I, I mean, no, I mean nothing. I mean uh, nothing uh, against you, but I'm simply talking to the borrower now for a second, Okay. We borrowers need to look at the lender, okay, the same way that we look at loan sharks, right? If you're in desperate need for money, you will find somebody out there to lend it to you, but it will come at a price, right? Sometimes it's just incredibly outrageous. Anyone will tell you it's criminal, okay? We generally look at those people with suspicion and we kind of treat them in our minds like pimps and, and so on. People who exploit other people who are in need. Okay? I would encourage you, in a positive, friendly, loving way, to think of all borrowers that way. Right? Because I need to see that this is the one thing which is attacking my most valuable asset in wealth building. And my most valuable asset in wealth building is my income. So I have a limited income, all of us do, it's a number, right? And different people are coming to take a bite out of that, right? I need to shoo some of those people away, as many as I can, as fast as I can. And the more I feel that my life depends on it, the more that I feel that this is a crisis, this has to be dealt with now, today, tomorrow will be too late. I have to deal with this now, the more likely I am to succeed. Dave Ramsey loves this analogy um, of the gazelle and the cheetah, right? The cheetah is the fastest mammal on the face of the earth. Goes from zero to 45 miles an hour in 
four leaps. That's four leaps and it gets to highway speed, right? The gazelle does not run that fast. What happens when the gazelle sees the cheetah? Well, gazelles move in like groups, right? So they look to each other and they know something is wrong. One guy saw something, the other guys know something is wrong. When they see the cheetah, all the gazelles run in different directions. So the cheetah gets confused. Should I go after that one? I'll go after this one. I'll go after that one? I'll go after this, this one. The cheetah only gets his gazelle burger one out of 17 chases. One out of 17 chases, although he's far faster than the gazelle. The creditors are far bigger and far smarter and far more financially savvy and educated than the average you and me. They're faster, they're bigger, they're smarter, but we can outmaneuver them because the dollar that I owe them is in my pocket, not theirs, right? And all I need to do with it is what God wants me to do with it, and all I need to do with it is have that gazelle intensity. Outmaneuver them and run for your life. After I read this book, we came home from our holiday, and I turned to Mary, and I'm like, Mary, what can we sell? Right? <laughs> right? If I can't, you know, like, like if I can't moonlight anymore, I need to increase our income, right? So I looked at my espresso machine. I was vacuuming my espresso machine while I was asking her this, right? She's like, what are you doing? Like, I've had it for like, like 10 years. I've never vacuumed the inside of it. Well, I looked it up on Kijiji. I bought it for $500 10 years ago, and it's still worth $500 today. This is great. I've been drinking coffee for free. Let me sell it. Mary convinced me by the skin of her teeth not to sell my prized possession, my espresso machine, right? But I sold just about everything else. Dave Ramsey says, walk around the house selling stuff until the kids think they're next, you know? <laughs> Keep going at it. Keep going at it, you know? Gazelle intensity. And the thing is when you do that, when you sell something that is precious to you, you're not going to go and spend money on something later which is not precious to you. This is all about behavior change. This is all about, this isn't about losing 100 pounds and gaining back 150. This is about losing 100 pounds and staying there. This is about becoming Mr. Muscle Man and staying there for the rest of my life, right? So gazelle intensity. And I promise you, God says, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. God will help you. I'm telling you, the dollars and cents did not add up for us. Where did $66,000 come from in a year? I don't know. I can't tell you. It doesn't make sense. I could go back in my bank account. I'm sure I could go back and look over the year and track every penny. And it came from somewhere, right? God will help you. I promise you he will. But it takes this gazelle intensity. The system is really, really simple. That's baby step one and baby step two. And... Next week, we're going to talk about something a little bit different than all of this. We're going to talk about a new line item in your budget. We're going to talk about the funnest thing in the whole wide world to do with money that you don't need to wait till you get to baby step seven to do. You can start doing it from right away. That's next week. And then the week after that, we'll carry on with steps three through seven. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen.